Chapter One of Miss Philura's Wedding Gown by Florence Morse Kingsley. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anne Fletcher, 2017. Miss Philura's Wedding Gown by Florence Morse Kingsley. Chapter One. As on a memorable occasion in her not distant past, Miss Philura Rice leaned forward and gazed at the reflection of herself which looked back at her from out the somewhat dim and clouded surface of the mirror atop her shabby little bureau. The mirror in question was cracked diagonally across its surface, the fact being hinted at by the blue ribbon pinned over the crack. Now, it is a custom quite as old as the race itself to gaze at one's reflection in the looking-glass. Everyone does it generally in private, in the solitude of one's own dressing-room, but sometimes in public, catching unexpected and often disconcerting views of one's face and person in some cunningly placed mirror. For example, Jones, dining at a downtown restaurant, catches sight of a fellow eating at a table near him. Oh, what a disagreeable-looking chap, cogitates Jones. I don't like his nose nor his eyebrows, nor the set of his coat, nor the way he uses his knife and fork. Then it suddenly dawns on Jones that the whole side of the restaurant is one huge mirror, and that he has been gazing at himself, Jones, and that he doesn't in the least like the look of Jones. He tries to comfort himself by the reflection that, after all, it wasn't any sort of a looking-glass not to be compared with the shaving-glass on his own dresser at home, with which morning presentment of himself he is complacently familiar. But somewhere in the back of his brain lurks the conviction that for once at least he has beheld himself as others see him, and that Jones is a commonplace, not to say disagreeable-looking fellow. But all this is quite beside the mark, when one comes to the consideration of Miss Philura's inspection of her small person in the cracked mirror of her own little bedroom. Miss Philura's earnest blue eyes were not concerning themselves with the faint lines about her delicate lips, nor even with the vague mist of silver glinting the brown hair about her ears. No, quite frankly and unaffectedly, the lady was studying the effect of her dress, a world too large for her. The material was good, there could be no question as to that. It was a satin brocade, exhibiting large, sprawling leaves of black on a purple background. It was rich and lustrous, and the unfashionable skirt swept in billowy folds about the slender figure, which continued to twist and turn from side to side before the cracked mirror. The crack curiously interrupted and diversified the view, so that Miss Philura saw, as it were, her small person in sections, like an imperfectly constructed picture puzzle. But when one has used an article, however imperfect, for a matter of thirty years, one learns to make allowances. Nevertheless, and also notwithstanding, Miss Philura presently divested herself of the black and purple gown with a pensive sigh. "'If only it wasn't black and purple,' she murmured, "'and if the leaves weren't so large and 
creepy. Miss Philura sighed a second time, as she took from the table a violet-tinted sheet of note-paper, exhaling the odour of violets, both colour and perfume being particularly affected by the writer of the words scrawled in loose, fashionable characters across the page. My dear Philura, she read for the second time, I own that I was exceedingly surprised, I might almost say shocked, to learn of your contemplated marriage to the Reverend Mr. Pettibone. Had you seen fit to consult me before taking so serious a step, I should have advised strongly against it. Your life, past as it has been amid humble surroundings, and with the very limited means of culture and improvement I have been able to afford you from time to time, during your brief stays at my home in Boston, have hardly fitted you, in my opinion, for the very grave responsibilities you appear so eager to assume. Let me implore you, before it is too late, to withdraw from the false position in which you find yourself. At your time of life, dear Flora, there can be no romantic ideas concerning love and marriage, which sometimes serve as an excuse for more youthful follies. Should you, however, ignore my advice, as I fear, you will incur the very grave risk attendant upon marriage with an elderly widower, as I understand Mr. Pettibone to be, with your eyes open. I am sending you with this an outworn gown of my own, which, should you persist in rushing in where angels fear to tread, will make over into a suitable dress for the occasion of the marriage. This missive, which Miss Filiora perused with a faint frown between her childish brows, was signed. I am, my dear Filiora, most sincerely yours, Caroline P. Van Duser. The time had been, and that not so long since, when Miss Filiora would have been utterly annihilated, crushed, beaten and routed from any position whatsoever by such a letter, signed with the authoritative name Caroline P. Van Duser. Now she folded the sheet with brisk motions of her roughened fingertips, returned it to its envelope with a little laugh. Then, still brisk and smiling, she hung the rustling brocade away in her closet. On the way downstairs, she even hummed a verse of an ancient hymn, which had clung to her memory ever since a memorable Sunday, marking the beginning of the marvellous new experience which had blossomed in the bleak and barren waste of her existence. God's purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower, she sang under her breath. Miss Filiora's blue eyes were very bright, her thin cheeks very pink, as she proceeded to set her tiny rooms in the perfection of cleanliness and order which reminded one of the interior of a wave-washed shell, or the heart of a morning glory newly opened to the sun. It was a shabby little house within and without, but the ancient furniture reflected the bright light of the November day in polished surfaces and even the worn rag-rugs on the floor exhibited rich and subtle blendings of colour, not unlike those of an eastern prayer-rug. 
When all was finished, Miss Philura washed her hands and dried them carefully on the roller towel behind the kitchen door. Then she sat down by the window and glanced shyly out between the green leaves of the newly potted geraniums. The trees were swept bare of leaves in the gales of early November, so that one could see, clearly silhouetted against the dazzling blue of the sky, the slender steeple of the Presbyterian church. Next to the church, half hid in sombre evergreens, was the parsonage. Miss Philura blushed delicately as she gazed, her thin hands clasped with the rapture of her thoughts. Only six months, and what changes had come over her life! She must needs pity the Miss Philura of that unthinkable time when nobody loved her, and she had faced a dreary vista of days, monotonously alike, beginning with half-hearted prayers to what she fancied a cold-hearted critical judge seated aloft in a distant heaven all gold and glittering gems. Then had come the revelation, and after all it had come about through cousin Caroline Van Duser. Miss Philura recalled for the thousandth time the day she had made herself ready to accompany Mrs. Van Duser to the ontological club in Boston. She pictured with positive relish her shrinking self, seated meekly opposite the magnificent person of Mrs. J. Mortimer Van Duser, wearing the ill-fitted dress of black alpaca and the obsolete bonnet tied primly under her chin. And my hair, she murmured, addressing her Maltese cat, who was watching her with a reflective gleam in his jewel-like eyes. Do you remember, Mortimer, how I used to fix my hair? The name of Miss Philura's cat marked her one previous ebullition of what she had sadly recognised as that phase of character known in theological circles as unregenerate human nature. But the cat had so resembled the husband of Mrs. J. Mortimer Van Duser, with his cold, calculating eyes, his feline neatness of person, his well-tended whiskers, and the terrifying gaze he was wont to bestow upon her small self, when at infrequent intervals she appeared at his hospitable board. The inevitable meeting with that awe-inspiring millionaire, who had the honour of calling Mrs. Caroline Van Duser his wife, was almost enough to deter one from seeking light and culture in the undeniable centre of all light and culture. Mr. J. Mortimer Van Duser never appeared to remember her from one visit to the next, and merely growled, like a cat over a mouse, Miss Philura could not help thinking, when Mrs. Van Duser drew his inscrutable gaze upon herself, with majestic words, "'You will remember my third cousin, Philura Rice, Mortimer. I felt it was my duty to afford Philura the opportunity of attending the course of lectures on the proper attitude of the masses to the classes, which, owing to other engagements, I am unable to attend.' So she had called her grey kitten Mortimer, in a spirit of uncharitable reprisal, which made her positively afraid to say her prayers for two whole days. As for Mortimer, he had grown into a stately, dignified personage of a cat, whose green eyes frequently assumed the veritable expression of the Boston millionaire, and Miss Philura continued to call him Mortimer, as has been stated. 
if mortimer remembered how miss philura used to arrange her hair he made no response instead he yawned discreetly his pink tongue curling back between his cruel sharp-pointed teeth like a leaf i was a fright morty dear quoth miss philura waxing familiar and affectionate i am sure he never would have thought of of loving me with my hair combed back tight and done up in a hard knot mortimer turned his back upon his mistress and wound himself into a graceful coil of grey fur breathing selfish comfort his opinion on the subject of miss philura's coiffure he kept to himself if i hadn't found out pursued miss philura her wistful eyes on the parsonage roof which peeped at her through a pair of dormer windows about the encircling good i should never oh she broke off with a little laugh and here i am worrying actually worrying about my wedding dress a brisk jingle of the feeble doorbell interrupted the little lady's further cogitations she hurried to answer it a becoming colour in her cheeks one could never tell when mr pettibone she hadn't been able yet to bring herself to call him silas might call but it wasn't the minister's tall figure which confronted her on the doorstep but a woman clad in a heavy woollen shawl she wore coarse blue mittens like those of a man and a wing of snowy hair folded her rough red cheeks on either side miss philura's colour faded a little as her eyes fell upon the quaint figure good morning huldah she said here's your butter miss said the woman thrusting a small package into miss philura's unwilling hand her black eyes snapped and she nodded her head vigorously it's good enough for queen victory if she was living to eat it and so i guess it's good enough for you but huldah quavered miss philura i know it's good i never found fault with the butter miss philura bethought herself that she was going to marry the minister and drew herself up with gracious dignity as she added your butter holder is excellent excellent but i have thought it best for my health to refrain from eating butter for the present the butter woman fixed her bright bird-like eyes upon miss philura butter's fattening she said at last fattening echoed miss philura weakly yes i suppose it is you'd ought to eat it pursued the butter woman you'd ought to eat a good and plenty of it three times a day she nodded at miss philura as if to defy her to prove the contrary a delicate colour fluttered in miss philura's cheeks then you think she murmured they like em fat said the butter woman still defiant don't i know em they like em round and plump and soft and smooth i don't think i understand you huldah said miss philura very dignified indeed though still gracious ministers ain't no different from other men as i know of insisted the butter woman she waved her hand conclusively you ain't no fatter than that poker ma'am it's quite fashionable to be slender huldah said miss philura almost piteously she gazed sideways at the poker standing stiffly beside the fireless grate 
its brazen head reflecting the light in its polished surface. I should dislike to be really fat, you know. The butter woman stood up, with the air of one who has finished argument and downed a dispute. She drew from under her shawl a basket, and from the basket she produced and laid upon the table, each with a defiant thump, a plump chicken, a roll of butter, and a dozen eggs in a paper bag. Now, these here things, she said in a tone which brooked no denial, I want you should eat. Don't you go to carrying broth to nobody, nor yet the eggs, nor yet the butter. But Holder, oh, they look very nice, but don't I know you're getting ready to be married? And of course, you don't think of nothing else, morning, noon and night. I can't give you no silver spoons for a wedding present, though land knows I'd like to, with your ma buying butter and me for a matter of ten years steady, and you never missing your half-pound a week since she was laid away eight years come April. So, if you'll take a pound or two from me, it ought to be five at the very least, for a wedding present, why... Miss Philura's blue eyes filled with sudden tears. Oh, how kind and good of you to have thought of it, Hulda. Thank you a thousand times. She took the butterwoman's toil-hardened hand in both her own and squeezed it gratefully. There, there, ain't nothing with me churning twice in the week and chickens fairly underfoot. I'm coming again a week from today and I want to see you a mite heavier than you be now. She felt Miss Philura's fragile little arm with an experienced thumb and finger and eyed her appraisingly. Hmm, a matter of ten pounds wouldn't do no harm, she murmured. Well, my advice to you is, lay abed mornings, and eat as hearty as you can. Land, I'd fatten you if I'd just have you under my eye for a while. She pinned her shawl together with an energetic stab of a black-headed pin. Hmm, when's the wedding? she demanded gruffly. Why, we hope... We expect it will be on Thanksgiving Day, faltered Miss Philura, trembling visibly in view of the near approach of her great happiness. The butterwoman stared past the blushing, wistful face. On Thanksgiving Day, she muttered. On Thanksgiving Day. Perhaps you think it an odd day to be married on, Miss Philura's gentle voice went on. But Mr Pettibone's congregation seemed to think that they ought all to be invited to the wedding. We should have liked it to be very quiet, but there was some feeling, Mr. Pettibone says. So we thought, as the church would have to be opened and warmed on Thanksgiving Day for the regular services, you know, why, it might be as well to take advantage. The butterwoman did not appear to be listening. She fetched a great sigh and shook her broad shoulders. Ah, oh, well, she said, there's no use to be harking back to what's past and gone, but it's hard not to be doing it when the summer's over and gone and naught remains but dead leaves blowing hither and yon. The cold weather seems to be setting in early this year, offered Miss Philura vaguely. Her thoughts had reverted once more to the purple and black brocade hanging in her wardrobe upstairs. The butterwoman was looking at her keenly, her mouth puckered into a half-smile. "'Whatever you do,' she said briskly, "'lay abed and eat. Eat hearty, betwixt now and Thanksgiving Day. 
there ain't nothing he'll like so well miss philura looked puzzled you mean she began the butter woman nodded her bright eyes half hid in wrinkles of mirth there ain't a man livin as likes to marry a livin skeleton nor yet a bag of bones they like em nice and fat with which she darted down the steps climbed into her wagon and drove away before miss philura had done blushing End of chapter 1